The Pickleball Show is brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news, and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free. This is Prem Carno, author of Smart Pickleball, and here's the host of the Pickleball Show, Chris Allen. Thank you, Prem, and welcome to the show dedicated to helping you play better pickleball while having even more fun and meeting new friends who share your passion for this great sport. My name is Chris Allen. I'm your host, joining you today from Asheville, North Carolina. And let's walk on over and see whose paddles are in the fence today. Joining us from the Villages, Florida, it is one of Pickleball's top players and also one of Pickleball's top coaches, all rolled into one, Deb Harrison. Deb, welcome back and thank you for making time for us today on the Pickleball Show. Chris, I thank you very much for having me. Now, you uh, you have a provocative title for today's show and that is The Real Secret behind the third shot and uh, we'll get to that before we do before you reveal it is this something you've been working on for a while or is it something that just came to you in kind of a flash like an aha moment well more like an aha okay you're out there playing and no no, no it just... i wasn't out there playing i was watching youtube videos okay and i was watching some of the 5-0 tournament players playing in the it might have been the toc or maybe uh, the uh, usapa nationals mm-hmm. but i was saying how do these players do a third shot drop and by the time they get to the non-volley zone the opponents are then just contacting the ball okay i said how did they do that all right and that led you to this aha moment which That's we right. will reveal a little bit later okay <laughs> sounds good now before we talk about that i wanted to talk about a couple of other things with you and uh well one of them is that uh you're so unique in that you are a top player and a top coach simultaneously a lot of times in a lot of sports you'll see somebody that maybe they were a champion player and then they became a coach later on and then other other people you see Maybe they weren't that good of a player, but they turned into just one of the best coaches you've ever seen. But mm-hmm. but you're both of those things. And I was wondering uh, how how that affects your ability to coach and then how that affects your ability to play, being sort of the total package as a, a champion. You can win championships and you can coach people to win championships at the same time. It's a good question, Chris. Um, I've been asked when you are teaching and coaching as much as you do, meaning me, doesn't it negatively affect your game because you're always putting the ball where your players can learn to execute properly? Mm -hmm. And I said to that person who was asking, no, it does not. But it does sometimes. Let me just say, clarify that. I think muscle memory is repeat action again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And if you have good paddle control and you can put the ball where you want, in a non-stressful situation. You can learn to do that in a game situation as well. So teaching involves a lot of paddle control and feeding, which means that you have to put the ball where you want to with a player, your student can hit it successfully. So I do a lot of feeding. 
Mm-hmm. So in a game, I have to change my mindset and say I am no longer feeding. I need to put it where they're not. So that takes a little bit of adjusting to do, going from teacher to player. Just warming up. Uh, when you're beginning to play and you're warming up, you just want to hit it right back to the person. And then you do have to flip that switch and say, okay, we're going 180 degrees now. We're going to do the, just the opposite. But I can see where doing that for hours a day, every day, it might be harder to flip that switch the other way. You really do have to flip a switch. You have to say, now I've got my game face on. And and it's all, almost saying, now I can be mean I can be angry. I'm with <laughs> not not really mean and angry, but I can not care so much about what the other people are doing mm-hmm. as how I am playing. Be the aggressor. Yeah, yeah. And you can't worry about your opponents and how they are feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk real quick before we get to the third shot about some other revelations that you've had. I think that you mentioned that one had to do with the ready position. Mm-hmm. For people who don't know, who are maybe new to the game, the ready position, we're talking about that position that you have your paddle when you get up to the non-volley zone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That involves where your paddle is and what your posture is Okay. when you're face-to-face against your opponent. And I can't emphasize enough the posture and holding the paddle is as important as the paddle itself. That's interesting because I've never given any thought to posture. I'm always thinking about get your paddle up, the blade flat, but I never think about my posture. Not even blade flat, but um, I like the neutral position where it's the shake hand grips and you tilt the paddle a little bit, favoring the backhand. The most recent thing I've been teaching is I have a different colored ball in the non-dominant hand. It's called my touch ball in my non-dominant hand, and I want the touch, the blade of my paddle to the touch ball. Okay, so your other hand, your non-dominant hand, is almost touching the head of the paddle. It is is supporting and touching the head of the paddle. Okay. So that's what I call neutral. Now you have a decision as the ball comes to you. Do you want to play it as a backhand, or do you want to play it as a forehand? And if you play it as a backhand, you go from that position to closer to your chest so you can form a wall to the ball. Okay. You bring the paddle back closer to your chest so you have room to go forward if you need to. And if you're going to go to a forehand, you have to make the wall to the ball by opening the blade of your paddle. And here's the tricky point about the forehand. You want to look forward and look into the back of the blade of your paddle. You want to look forward and then... Look forward and look into the back of your blade on the forehand side because if you if you look forward and you cannot see the back of the blade of your forehand you're too late okay so is your arm extended straight out or is it on your side it's it's side forward side forward okay all right so you're looking forward and you see the back of the blade of the paddle that's right gotcha this, this affects your posture because if you have it out in front of you there's no need for your weight to shift backwards get anything all your weight is transferred forward all right does that make sense it does make sense yes now what exactly uh in the ready position what is the optimum posture brian staub calls it the compressed position right yeah i've seen a video where he does that his knees are slightly bent kind of a a basketball uh technique slightly flexed forward weight more on the balls of your feet than on your heels of your feet so that your weight is shifted forward Everything's compressed forward. Mm-hmm. Nothing is back. So you're not standing upright. Right. You're compressed forward. 
Then from that, you do a little drill called trajectory volleys, where you just touch, hit, touch, hit, touch, hit. The touch being you connect with that touch ball. Okay. After you hit, you come back and touch, touch, touch. So that you always come back to what I call neutral. Mm-hmm. And then you decide whether you're going to go forehand, backhand, low, high, up, wherever the ball might be. But it's always starting from that neutral. That's right. And the core of you, meaning your head, your shoulders, and your body are relatively stable. There's not a lot of a movement mm-hmm. the core of your body. Okay. So the body core stays still in a compressed situation, and it's just you forward to the ball. More forward on the forehand than the backhand. That's interesting that you bring that up, and especially in uh, terms of Brian Staub, because uh, when I was watching him at the regionals in Concord, North Carolina, just watching him warm up, it was as if somebody was pressing a reset button every time, and mm-hmm. he would just pop right back into this the same position every single time. Yeah, he, he is one who has the the touch ball method that I have cheating a little bit to the, the backhand side. Mm-hmm. Bill Bagley is different in that he has more of a locked-in backhand. He favors more of the, the Mo. I guess Coach Mo teaches have the blade flat across the front of the body mm-hmm. on the backhand. Tim Nelson, if you've ever seen Tim play, holds it in a shake hands grip and lower. But he's young enough and quick enough to get the blade up to protect <laughs> his body if it's if it comes. Right. He can so get there are a lot of it. ways to do it, but as long as you're ready to hit that ball when it comes at you, but there are a lot of methods of that. I thought find the best method to teach the ready position is the touch ball that comes back to neutral. You're not hitting a backhand or forehand, but you're at neutral. The head of your paddle is touching your non dominant hand. Yeah, and then you have to decide whether you're going to hit it as a backhand layback or a forehand out in front. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And actually, the forehand for right hand is, is sometimes harder because you have to do more stuff. You have to open the blade, form the wall, and then think forward, whereas the backhand is right there in front of you. Now, what exactly, when you're talking about forming the wall, that is just having your having the blade of the paddle flat out in front yeah, of your chest? Yeah, if the ball is coming at you in a flat method, mm-hmm. having a wall meaning that the it's perpendicular to the, the, the surface, surface of the court, court. Mm-hmm. Okay. forming that wall. Gotcha. Now, if it comes really hard at you, really hard at you, sometimes all you need is form the wall and it just ricochets off your paddle in a flat manner. Mm-hmm. Better people start, I call it a punch volley, where you go forward with that punch, but it need not be very far. And if it has no pace on it, you can start swinging with that volley from the basically wall position. Are you changing your grip on a punch volley? Are you putting your thumb on the back of the paddle to help? No, I I do not change my grip. Now, what is something else that you've discovered recently? It it involves half volley pickups and half volley short hop pickups from the the non-volley zone. Okay, well, let's explain real quick when uh, when we talk about a half volley. That's when you take the ball, when it's just bounced, it's just come off the floor, and you take it instead of letting it uh, reach its apex. You're not waiting for it to arc or anything like that. You're taking it as soon as it hits the floor, and boom. And uh, the advantage to that, uh, people say, is it can throw the other team off in terms of timing. You're, you're getting the ball back a little quicker to them than uh, they were expecting it. And uh, uh, are there other advantages? Advantages besides that? Uh, the half volley is just, and Rachel Krug is the one who uses this terminology, badeep, badeep. So when you hear the badeep, you, it, the ball bounces and you hit. Mm-hmm. Bounce it, bounce it, badeep. Now the half volley, 
you have to choose because I'm pretty short of stature. So there's a lot of balls at my feet that I cannot reach. If I were taller, I'd be able to reach stuff. Mm-hmm. But if I'm short, I have a less ability to reach. So a lot of balls are going to land at my feet. That's a given when, when you're dinking. And you see all the better players do the badit. It's a short hop. Mm-hmm. You take it off the short hop and get the dink going. But how to do it? How to do the badit? All right. Now, how to do, this is the proper way to do the half volley? Half volley pickup. And I, I took this from a fellow by in the villages. His name is Paul Cash. He's a retired tennis teacher. And I said, Paul, how do you do, you do a half volley? And he says, well, he thinks ground up with the paddle. Ground up? Ground up. Okay. It's no longer the deep forward. It's ground up. Ground up. To get that half half volley pickup. Okay, so he wants to point his paddle at the ground and then just lift it up. Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's coming underneath the ball and coming up a little to get the ball over the net. Okay. Would you feel like you're scooping the ball? No, no. Just okay. Little, just up and little. The little part of the, the blade going deep. The little part keeps the flight of your ball on the half volley down and low. Okay. If you get bigger with that swing, it's going to go up over the net and go high. Way high. Yeah. And then you don't can... want people smacking it at you. Exactly. It's ground up. And here's the other thing about the half volley pickup on the dinks is your head remains elevated. You do not look at the ball. You're not looking down at the ball. Do You're... not look okay. at the ball. All right. Just go ground up and have your eyes up. And are you flicking your wrist or are you nope. just moving your arm? Nope. Just nope, your arm. Just, just a little push. Okay. Deep, just a little push. Deep. Just a little push of the arm. Little movement of the arm. Yep. And so head up, ground up, and bounce up. You've got it made. Okay. And is that just on the half volley that you don't want to look down? I think every time. Wow. Really? Every time. When the ball is down low at your feet, keep your head up and think ground up. So anytime the ball's low at your feet, you keep your head up and you think ground up, ground Ground up. up, Get the ball over the net. Wow. Okay. That's an interesting take because, I mean, I've heard so many people say, you know, you look at the ball and you hit through it and you keep looking even while you're hitting and, uh, but not in this case, not in the case of a half volley. And I'm going to take that just one step further, Chris, and it's uh, Matthew Staub does what we call is a block drop. Mm-hmm. Have you seen him do that? I have seen the video where he does that, yes. He does it. I think he's one of the best in the nation for taking the pace off a hard ball at them. And if you get the sensation of posture of a good bump up with the lower edge going forward to the ball, mm-hmm. you can develop a good block drop simply by leading with that lower edge. So it's a bump up, but now you're leading with the lower edge. Okay, and you're just higher because the ball's coming probably waist high. Waist high and it's being fired at you. Mm -hmm. And you just take the pace off and just drop it back. Yeah, you you take the, the pace off by punching forward. With a little bump up, but it's all going forward now. And that's that's the difference between a bump up and a block drop is your paddle going forward under the ball, but not collapsing. 
And he also, instead of send, sending it straight back, he'll change direction too while he's doing that. And he he's of the style because his dad does the same thing, uh, neutral position being cheating to the backhand with his non-dominant hand supporting the under rim of the blade. That's a connected. And when you're saying cheating to the backhand, you have your paddle just a little bit further over toward your non-dominant side than you That's normally right. would? It's, it, it's turned slightly to the backhand side. Okay. As opposed to a forehand preferred is shake hands straight out. Mm-hmm. Okay, that'd be shake hands. And then locked in backhand is when it's obviously backhand dominant. Nothing is right or wrong. Nothing is absolutely right or wrong. It's what works for you to get back into the square position. Those are uh, some definite innovations and things that we have not heard before and uh, things that I think we'll all benefit from working on. And now let's get to the all-important third shot. Do you think that uh, games are often won or lost based on the third shot? I do. I think games are won or lost depending on the third shot. Could be. It is the hardest shot to master. Uh, the way that the third shot goes, oftentimes that's the way that the game is going to go. And if you if you are playing people who like to hit a hard ball and you do not have a third shot drop, you are just inviting them into their strength. You're playing their game instead of having them play your game. Right. If they like hitting the ball hard off an elevated ball, even a low elevated ball that's not a drop shot, you are inviting them to work on their strength. Okay, now here's here's the real secret of the third shot drop. All right, here it comes. <laughs> now I was watching um, YouTube TOC Championship, and I said, "Huh?" And I th I think of Phil Bagley when I think of his third shot drop. As I I he was doing a third shot drop, and I'm saying, "How did he get to the non volley zone so quickly?" Mm -hmm. And be there when they're about to hit the ball. Here's what I think happens. Okay. You must come under the ball at 6 o'clock. This is not a Tim Nelson spin drop, by oh, the way. Okay. This is just a basic third shot drop for most anybody who plays the game. You're coming under the ball. Under the ball. At 6 o'clock. At 6 o'clock. You're pushing forward, but keep your blade low. So you're pushing forward. You're again pushing not using forward. your wrist. You're just using your arm. That's right. That's okay. right. Push it forward underneath. But here's where it works. You make sure that the trajectory of your third shot drop is floaty, high, over the net, apex on your side of the net, and just descending into the non-volley zone. So height, 6 o'clock, small finish, up over, by the time the ball is at its apex, this has given you enough time to hit, go, and get into the non-volley zone before it drops on the other side and they're hitting the ball. I spoke with Jeff Shank a few episodes back, and uh, Jeff had mentioned that Phil Bagley's third shot is deceptively high that uh, he feels like it almost seems too high, but then it's so hard to handle when it comes over. Do you know what he's talking about, or have you experienced the same thing when you play against Phil? Uh, Phil, Phil does what I'm asking people to try to do, is get it so high that it's descending on the other side, and Phil is real comfortable at the tee, at the non-volley zone. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't want to mess around back there at the baseline. 
He wants to get in and get to that tee. So he'd rather maybe err on the side of of doing a third shot that's higher, that buys him more time to where he can get there in one shot. He doesn't have to split step in the middle in no man's land and then hit another third shot. He doesn't want to take two shots to get up to the uh, kitchen line. He wants to get there in one. He doesn't have to because he's got an elevated ball that seems to be high, but they cannot reach it on the fly. Mm Mm-hmm. They cannot reach that ball on the fly because its apex is on his side of the net. Right. So it's just dropping in. It's shallow into the kitchen. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he's, by the time they hit the ball, even if they can reach it, it's down below their knees. He's at the non-volley zone with his paddle up in the strong backhand position, waiting for them to fire it at him. And if they try to fire at him, it's coming back at them faster. That that was what I was going to ask. Uh, I can hear people saying, well, if I go too high, then when it bounces, it's going to have too much bounce to it, and it's going to be up to where they can fire it back at me, and that would be the uh, the downside to hitting a high third shot. It is a downside, but that's where Rob Elliott mentioned that if you start a war when people have their paddles up and you fire it at good volleyers, mm-hmm. parentheses, good volleyers, you're probably going to lose the point. Because you were the aggressor, and a lot of times the aggressor is, is maybe off balance or they're yeah. off, off their game. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. they did not choose the proper ball to attack. Mm-hmm. When it's down below your ankles and your knees, like a, a drop shot should be. And even if it does bounce a little higher, against good volleyers who are in the ready position and they're ready for that ball being fired at them, it's going to burn you if you start going at the people who have closed the net in the proper position. Gotcha. You're probably going to lose that point if you start firing the ball at them. The important part of this concept is that you you hit the ball at 6 o'clock, apex it on your side of the net. As you're hitting the ball, your partner is moving forward. They're not waiting to see how good of a third shot it was. They're just- they can see in the air that it's descending on uh, you know apexing on your they can see by the flight of the ball that it's going to be a good one okay or not okay they can see the flight of the ball whether it's a good one or not Mm -hmm. if it's a good one and you begin to trust your partner on this you get into the line before it even drops whereas the dropper has to wait a little bit to hit the ball Mm -hmm. and then close in and join the their partner up at the net right so your partner is leading the way they're already up at the line your back, say if you were the hitter, you're back just a couple of steps back, but then you're right there, maybe a half a second behind them. Right. And then you have to earn the net or crash the net. Let's go over it again, because I know that, uh, you know, it being a, a podcast, we don't have the uh, benefit of visual aids here. And so I think you're doing a great job of painting a picture with words. Now you're, you're talking about going in at six o'clock underneath the ball. Yeah, this- underneath the ball. And by six o'clock, you mean you're just directly under that ball. Yeah, you and you you're hitting it on the descent. This is not the ball that's heavy underspin and heavy topspin back at you. Mm-hmm. This is just a regular deep ball that's that's got you back there. Okay, the regular return shot that's deep. Maybe it's a yeah, it's got some some bounce to it. You yeah. you let it bounce. It's it's apexed and now it's coming down off of the apex, and that's when you're going to hit it. He hit it up. Mm-hmm. So six o'clock up, and now you're going up and forward to get it over the net. But make sure that your apex is on your side and dropping. Start closing as the ball's in the air. What I used to do was I watch my third shot. If it's over the net and descending, that's when I used to close. 
Now I'm changing my closing timing to as the ball's in the air, start your closing then. That'll get you further up to the line. You can feel when your third shot is going to be a somewhat a good one. Mm-hmm. Can't you? Oh, yeah. This is a good one. I'm going. Okay, this is a bad one. Okay, now stay back and we'll do it on the fifth shot. So it's not bad if you float a ball up there and they hammer it. You get another chance to do a third shot drop. As long as you stay back. Yeah, you'll have another chance. And it's not bad to crash in either if you really like to volley. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Just go ahead and go. You know it's a bad <laughs> yeah. one, but like, darn it, I'm going to just get up there anyway. Yeah, yeah, why not? <laughs> and take your chances. You either like it up there or you don't, you know? Or just the rule of thumb is if you elevate, you stay back and earn it again. But some people like... Uh, like Phil is such a good volleyer that they'd rather be up there fighting against you. I think I'd probably stay back and <laughs> and try to earn it. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, it's better it's better for me to stay back, but I sure do like getting up there real quick and uh, yeah. I yeah. always think, well, the next one I'll stay back, but I'm going to get up there right now on uh-huh. this one. But- so I think people should try to start instituting that game that into their game is drop close as the ball's flying into and over the net, not watching it land just go a little sooner a little bit more aggressive yeah get into that line (laughs) that sounds good but that is i think that could be a a breakthrough secret for a lot of players i think that generally speaking people try you said it's the hardest shot in the game of pickleball Mm -hmm. i think if you break it down it's one of the simplest shots in the game of pickleball because you're not trying to do too much with it in fact if you try to do a lot with it you're probably going to elevate it or, or put it a little too deep. If you keep it simpler and shorter and smaller, and just think up little, you're probably going to have a better third shot. The other key might be is that after you finish your third shot drop, your blade wants to be facing where the ball is going. If you finish above your shoulder on a third shot drop, you don't need all that swing. And two, if the ball is coming at you, the hard and the underspin and all of that, if you're fighting underspin, you have to lift even more. And if you have heavy topspin against you, you have to do less. Okay, yeah, underspin, give it a little bit more than you think you'll need to, a little bit more lift, and and then topspin a little less. All you have to do is like a half volley pickup and kind of just bedeep, you know, a half volley. Mm -hmm. And just open the blade and hope their pace ricochets off your blade. High, apex, down. Yep. The previous episode that uh, you joined us for is still to this day one of the most popular. And uh, Deb, I think that this is going to be right up there too with uh, the the secrets that you've shared today. I think you're going to help so many people. And uh, this is going to be one of the most downloaded episodes ever in the history of the Pickleball Show. So I want to, <laughs> Chris, <laughs> I want to thank you for that and uh, everything you've shared today. It's really, it's always just a pleasure to talk to you. Well, you too, Chris. You're just a joy. Well, thank you. And just uh, keep coming up with all these great revelations and breakthrough tips and, and tricks that we can apply to our game. We certainly appreciate it. If you think of me, think of other people. You're never too old to learn new tricks. That's for sure. (laughs) As long as you play, you can always use something. We're talking with Deb Harrison from the Villages, Florida, one of Pickleball's top players and definitely one of Pickleball's top coaches. Deb, keep
Keep in touch and we look forward to talking with you again. Thank you very much, Chris. And I'd like to thank you for joining us today as well. And a big thank you to everybody who's been sharing the link to The Pickleball Show via social media and just telling people in their local club about the show. We really, really do appreciate your support. Hey, have you gotten your copy of the top 10 tips from Pickleball's three greatest coaches? Coach Mo. Deb Harrison, Brame Carnot, all together in one quick study guide that will definitely take your game to the next level. It's totally free. You don't need a credit card. All you need is an email address. Just head over to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com, and we'll send it right over to you. Head over to iTunes also if you get a chance. Hit that subscribe button. You'll never miss an episode. And if you feel it's appropriate, leave us a five-star review. I'm Chris Allen. This is The Pickleball Show. And until next week, keep them low. The Pickleball Show is brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news, and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free.